So, I was struggling to decide a topic for this week. I was debating between Romans 1.18 and also the Lord's Supper, because I want us, as this, I want Discovery to have a full knowledge of the Lord's Supper. But in God's providence, I was reading John 11, where Lazarus is sick, and he's about to die, and they tell Jesus. And Jesus says, this sickness is not, come, is not going to come to death, but what, what's going to be shown here is the glory of God. In other words, I'm going to show my power in the death of Lazarus. So in God's providence, God providentially led me to a text about providence. So what I have to you tonight is um, a message on the doctrine of providence. And I decided, I could, I could have picked any text for this, but I picked Isaiah 14, verse 24. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so it shall be. And as I have purposed it, so it shall stand. Thanks be to God. So what is the doctrine of providence? The doctrine of providence, as described by the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, the Westminster, and also the Heidelberg Catechism, which you can find in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. It says that the doctrine of providence is God upholding, directing, arranging, and governing all of the creatures and all things from the greatest to the least, by his perfectly wise and holy providence, to the purpose for which they were created. How does he do this? And he continues, he governs according to his infallible knowledge and the free and unchangeable counsel of his own will. The way that he governs his creation is by the holy counsel of his own will. The triune God that, that created all that exists from the moment that he said, let there be light, he has been upholding and directing all of his creatures from the moment they were made. John 5.17 says, But Jesus answered to the Pharisees, My Father is working until now. And I myself am working. And this refers to the act of God in upholding all of his creation. Christians are not deists. The deists believe that after God created the world, he, like a watch, he won the world. And he let it run its course. And you may say that, after that, God, God is simply sitting on his lazy boy chair and watching the world unfold. 
This is not the biblical view of providence. This is not only not biblical, but it's also very discomforting. I am not interested in the least to have a philosophical view of how the world works. We believe the Bible and the scriptures everywhere teach that God made the world, all that is in it, and that he continues to govern it and direct it according to his holy purpose. If you have not embraced the doctrine of providence, my job tonight is to convince you that it's biblical. And if you have already embraced the doctrine of providence, my job is for me to root it even farther in your hearts. And I want to show you in all the ways that God is providentially taking care of us. First of all, God governs all his creatures and all their actions. Psalm 115.3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And Isaiah 46.9 and 10 says, I am God. And there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times things not yet done, saying, this is what God says, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. God rules over all his creatures, and this extends to the sea creatures in Jonah. They throw Jonah into the sea, And there happens to be a a fish that can swallow Jonah. And I was thinking, well, well, thank goodness it was a nice fish and didn't chew him up on the way in. But obviously, God placed the right fish at the right moment in the place where he wanted it. God is also directing the plants in Jonah 4. says that a plan came over him, over Jonah, to provide him shade to cover him from the sun. And then overnight, God appointed an insect. God has providence over the insects. And he comes to the insect, to the plant, and kills the plant. And then he appoints a scorching wind to come to Jonah. So God is, God's providential care goes to the sea creatures, the plants, insects, and the wind, the heat. Even in the smallest of details, God is directing and governing all of his creation, even the smallest of details. Proverbs 16.33 says, We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. So think about Las Vegas. Every roll of the dice in Las Vegas, the Lord determines how they fall. And think about all the lives that are changed, sometimes in Las Vegas. You get a lot of money, your life changes from one small little detail. God even uses the devil to accomplish his holy and righteous plan. God used the desire desire of the devil to kill and destroy, and the greediness of uh, Judas to bring about the betrayal of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God used the sin of Judas 
and the sin of Satan to accomplish his holy plan. Yet, God in this never sinned. I would like to take you to Luke 22, verse 31. And this is the example of Peter. This is one of my favorites, Acts of Providence in the New Testament. And I think I ha I've just attached myself to this story, so I love it. Luke 21, 22, verse 31. He says, Jesus, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. So that when you turn again, that you may strengthen your brothers. So Satan has come to God and has asked God for permission in order to attempt to tempt and to bring a trial upon Peter. And it's really important to point out that the devil does not have ultimate power in the last say in any of his actions. That whenever the devil wants to test anyone, especially God's children, he has to ask God for permission, who is the ruler of all things. And notice from this story that God has granted Satan this request. But Jesus says, I prayed for you that Satan can only go this far. In other words, Satan, yes, you can sift Peter like wheat, but only this far and not further. Do not touch Peter's faith. And this is exactly what happened to Job, isn't it? You guys, I'm sure, are very well-versed with that story. Satan went to the heavens to accuse the Job, and the devil was granted permission to bring lots of trials upon the life of Job. But God pulls limitations on Satan. He says, you can touch this, you can touch that, but do not kill him. And this is exactly what happened with Peter. You can do this, you can do that, but no not further. In other words, the devil can just go around tempting anyone he wants. The devil is on a leash, a very short leash. Amen. Just as the rest of the creatures are also on a short leash, they may only do what God has appointed them to do and no more. If somebody wants to kill you and God doesn't want you to die, God has put a leash on that person. Or a bear. That'll do it. I've seen bears coming at me and just praise God that God stopped the bear. Proverbs 16.4 says, The Lord has made everything for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. And just as God had a plan for the trial of Job, namely to vindicate Job at the end of the book, and that God may be glorified above all things, God also had a plan for the trial of Peter that he's about to go in. 
And now, uh, if you're in Luke, go uh, to verse 54 of chapter 22. It says, Now having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance, and after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them, and a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight, looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But Peter denied it, and he said, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You're one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly, this man was with him too, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and he looked to Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord and that he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and cried bitterly. Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny him. Peter says, Lord, I'd rather die than deny you. But we all know that when they arrest Jesus, all the disciples scatter, and people, uh, Peter follows at a distance. Jesus doesn't merely know that this event will happen. He doesn't merely have knowledge that this event will happen, but has brought about, through the use of means, the unfolding of this event. From the story, I want us to step into the story. God has made sure that there's a building and that there's a fire. And that Peter sits around the fire. And God has placed a servant girl that will recognize Peter. And he has placed other men that will also recognize Peter. God, in his wisdom, even made sure that a rooster is present. And as if the rooster was waiting for Peter's third denial, he crows. I can just picture the rooster. There's one, number two, there's a third, and then he crows. God has so orchestrated this event that even the roosters follow God's perfect plan and providence. Can you imagine if this event was left in the sinful hands of humans, one tiny detail left ungoverned by God and Jesus will be proven to be a false prophet. What if the servant girl that night decides to be washing dishes at home rather than being in a courtyard? What if the owner of the rooster had some Mexican food for lunch? And the food makes him sick, and he's like, I got to pack it home. And he takes the rooster with him. There is no rooster to crow anymore. Or what if this rooster is a wild rooster, and this wild rooster decides 
I think I'm gonna go wander off and eat some bugs somewhere else. And then the rooster's never there waiting for Peter's third denial. God has orchestrated this event that even made sure that the rooster does not wander off, that the servant girl is there, and that two men are present, so that this unfolds perfectly. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. It is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Nothing happens by luck or chance, only by the governing hand of God. The only other coin, side of the coin of God's providence is luck, accidents, mistakes. But we as Christians embrace the providence of God. If God is not directing our lives, then who is? Are you directing your life? Are you sure you want to leave all the decisions and the path of your life on your sinful hands? Do we think that we humans know better than God? You think that you can orchestrate your life better than God can? Proverbs 21.1 Notice I am quoting as many verses as I can because I'm trying to prove this to you. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of Yahweh. He turns it wherever he pleases. I want you to notice something from the doctrine of providence. That everything that comes to pass in the life of Job and Peter, all acts, good and evil, have a greater a more magnificent purpose. All these things have a greater purpose. What is the purpose of Peter's denial? That Peter, once he has repented from his sin and learned from his mistake, Jesus said that you may strengthen your brothers and that you, Peter, will be the rock of the church. When God makes a prophecy, he directs the steps of all the peoples of the earth to make sure that that event comes to pass. Prophecy without the directing and governing hand of God to bring about the outcome is as good as cheese left on the counter in hopes that it will become a pizza. What about the example of Joseph? We all know the story of Joseph as well. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. We know the story very well. Joseph's brothers are very jealous uh, of him. And they're very jealous because Jacob, Israel, loves him so much that he makes him a special robe. And, you know, uh, when Jacob tells Joseph, go look for your brothers, and then he goes into the field, and he can't find them, and there a man tells him, they're over there, and the brothers see Joseph 
coming toward them and they say, this is the perfect time to kill Joseph. But they don't kill him. They put him in a pit. And then a caravan happens to go by so that he may be sold into slavery, so that he may go to Egypt and become prominent and successful. He becomes second in charge in all of Egypt. And then we all know that a famine hits all of the land and that Egypt has been prepared because a, a dream was given to Pharaoh. So Egypt is prepared for the famine by Jacob and his family, the kind of food. So Jacob tells his brothers, go to Egypt and buy us some food. And who's there to be able to provide for Jacob and the family? Joseph, whom they sold, whom they almost killed. Genesis 50:20 says, As for you, brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to do what has happened on this day to keep many people alive. In other words, just like Peter, there was a greater purpose behind all of this. In the life of Joseph, there's a greater purpose behind all their actions. Notice that says that God meant the actions of the brothers for good while the brothers meant all of their actions for evil. Through the same action, sinful action of the brothers, God has been meaning this for good. Some people have, they say, well, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. He was able, with the cards that he was held, with the cards that he was given, he was able to make it work out. But that is not what the text says. God, it doesn't say that you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. You meant it for evil, God meant it, the same word, for good, in order to keep many people alive. God has used the sin of the brothers to accomplish his perfect plan. What happens if Jacob doesn't love Joseph more than the other brothers and never gives Joseph the tunic of many colors? This has huge ramifications. Jacob and his family, they die because the famine will hit the land. They go to Egypt. And why would Egypt sell some food to this little clump of people? The nation of Israel would never have been formed. There is no exodus and there is no law that Jesus can fulfill. There is no Savior that can save us from our sins and you and I would be them forever. There's no exodus, there's no people of Israel because Israel died. If, if God doesn't put Joseph exactly where he wants Joseph to be at the exact same point in time. All the details of your life have been ordained by God before you even existed. Psalm 139, 
We were singing that today. Psalm 139 says this. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single date had passed. Wow. If that doesn't convince you, I don't really know what will convince you. Every moment of your life was laid out before you were even born. And Ephesians 2.10 says that even the good works that we will perform, God prepared those works beforehand that you would walk in them. If you go with me to Acts 2.23, Acts two twenty three. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And in Acts, Acts 4.27 says, For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, and all the peoples of Israel, to do what? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God predestined the cross before the world even existed. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And he used the sinful desires of Herod, of Pilate, of the Gentiles, and of the peoples of Israel who cried, crucify him, crucify him, to do whatever his plan was. These are all the examples I have for you. Now, there may be objections to this doctrine. First objection, and I recognize it is a difficult one. That's embracing the doctrine of providence, may God, the author of sin. No. Now I can move on. Next point. First John 3 5 says, In him there is no sin. First John 1 5. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Psalm eleven seven, for the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Isaiah 6.3 It says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Job 34 verse 10 Far be it from God to do injustice. God doesn't do injustice. And the Almighty does no wrong. James 1.17 Every good gift 
And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of shadow due to change. Thus embracing the doctrine of providence make the God the author of sin. The, the Bible is clear, he is not. But this is what the doctrine of providence does for you. He will give you peace through trials. And he will give you assurance of the future that he has everything worked out for your good and his glory. And the doctrine of providence creates thankfulness in our hearts because we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who love him those who are called according to his purpose. What comfort would we have if God were not in control of our trials? What comfort can we have? Providence gives us comfort that our lives are not controlled by some sort of force or fate or chance or even by us because we make mistakes. Our lives are in the hand of our fatherly, of our, of our heavenly Father. Now, there's another objection. If God has everything planned out, well, why should I do anything at all? The doctrine of justification by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone, should not cause us to become passive in sanctification. And, and the doctrine of justification by faith alone does not give us a free ticket to sin as much as we want, right? We can say amen to that. In the same way, the doctrine of providence should not cause us to be fatalistic, but it should embolden us to go out there and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ because he really cares and he's involved in all the details of our lives. As I shared last time, there might people, there may be people who mock us, there may be people who make fun of us, and we're not to be ashamed of the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the doctrine of providence only makes a foundation for us here in the gospel even stronger because if God wants to save the people that you're talking to, there's nothing they can do to stop God from saving them. God will accomplish his holy plan. The doctrine of providence should cause us to rest and to trust God and that nothing happens by accident but that he means everything for our good and for his glory for the praise and exaltation of Jesus Christ our Savior let's pray